You're listening to CKUW 95.9 FM, Winnipeg. to Bikini Drive-In on CKUW 95.9 FM. Bikini Drive-In's mission is to analyze horror and science fiction films through an intersectional feminist lens while combining elements of screen and media studies, arts criticism, and women and gender studies. Since we'll be discussing portrayals of horror and violence, content warning, listener discussion is advised, etc. Also, spoilers ahead. Today I'm joined again by Jill Greening. Welcome back and thanks so much for recording with me today. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to be here. Uh, Jill Greeting is a dance artist and writer. Her work moves within and between performance and text to explore memory, temporality, and embodiment via methods of mark-making, scoring, and sensory-oriented documentation. Her work has been presented through Toronto's A-Space Gallery, MAWA, and Plugins ICA Summer Institute. She has participated in Video Pool's New Artist in New Media Residency and Festival Transamerique Conversations on Performance Program. She holds a Master's in Theatre and Performance Studies from York University. This week, we are discussing James Wong's 2000 film, Final Destination. I got this feeling. It's a weird feeling. The cabin starts to shake, right? And, and the, the left side blows up, and then the whole plane just explodes. The plane's gonna explode! It's not a joke! It's not a joke! We get thrown off the plane, all because Browning has a bad dream? The plane! It's gonna blow up! It's gonna blow up! All 287 passengers are feared dead. Because of you, I'm still alive. In death, there are no accidents. Incidences and no escapes. Did it happen again? Did you see Todd die? What if it was our time? What if we were not meant to get off that plane? What if there is a design? Then it's not finished. By walking off the plane, you cheated death. You have to figure out when it's coming back at you. What are you, God, now? He knows which one of us is next. You have a responsibility to tell me. I knew I should have hit on Tammy in the pool that time. I'm not gonna let it happen, okay? Uh. Nobody has control over life and death. Unless they are taking lives. And causing death. Can you promise me that no one else is going to die? I'll see you soon. Alex saves his school friends from death when he gets a premonition that their plane will crash. He freaks out, and in the ensuing chaos, a few of his companions are forced off the airplane which takes off without them and promptly, ex promptly explodes. 
Alice and the other survivors have briefly cheated death, but will not be able to evade their fate for very long. Turns out that by getting off that doomed flight, they disrupted death's design, and now death is fixing the error by plowing its way through them in order in which they would have died originally. Jill, what is your history with Final Destination? So I first saw the film at some elementary school sleepover oh and was, yes, definitely, and <laughs> was beguiled by Devin Sawa. I had such a crush on him because um, I'd seen him recently all over much music in the Eminem video for Stan. Um, so that, <laughs> like, totally, <laughs> a music video was very important. Oh, my gosh. My cultural experience that's i didn't know this about you i gotta yeah. go <laughs> yeah here you are here you, now you know okay. <laughs> so that drew me to to film uh but it totally terrified me and fed into all of my anxieties and devin sawa is not even that cute in it he's not even that good in it no um so yes anxiety and disappointment really pervades uh my memories of this film i do sidebar have a, a Mennonite connection with the film. I know the cousin and aunt and uncle of Brendan Fair. Yeah, he plays George Butler in the movie. And, like, I literally saw his aunt last time I was at Costco with my mom. Oh, my gosh. Sweaty, and it wasn't code red, and he could still go to Costco without being, like, a political thing. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's exciting. He's so handsome. Yes. Hot Canadian Mennos in horror. <laughs> so this <laughs> film has, like, it's kind of like a weird, like, Stone for, for that. Mm, yes. Uh, but yeah, I have not seen the rest of the franchise. Um, I don't always go down like the franchise road mm. unless I'm like really into a series. Um, like Hellraiser. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll go down that road. Yeah. Apparently, but for some reason, Final Destination, haven't gone around to it. As we were discussing earlier, yeah, apparently some of them are like number five, apparently, is, is quite good. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's yet. what I've heard too. I haven't quite gone the full franchise route. Um, my first experience with the Final Destination franchise was seeing Final Destination 2 at the Northgate Mall Theater and walking out after the massive car crash opening scene. Maybe the only movie I've ever walked out of. Um, just because it really stresses me out and is probably the main reason why I don't have a driver's license to this day. Uh, this series still really scares me, and just the idea that, like, death is always around you and your head can be cut off at any moment, like, I hate that as a concept. Uh, yeah, I feel like horror allows us to um, confront our own mortality and our own death from a safe distance, but this franchise is, like, there's not enough distance for me with this franchise. Like, the death sequences are just, like, too real for me, and, like, instead of catharsis, we're just confronted with, like, how fragile and clumsy we are and I think yeah of all the movies that we've talked about for the show this one might fill me with dread more than any other movie um I have a quote from a friend of the show Alison Lang uh, that sums up my feelings about Final Destination uh this was from her latest article for artofthetitle.com about the opening sequences in the franchise she writes uh as goofy and elaborate as many of the FD's death sequences became There's also an element of sickening realism that feeds fascination and enthusiasm for the franchise. A lot of people are scared of dying in plane crashes. A lot of people have been in horrifying car accidents. By infusing the most mundane of places, a car wash, a pool, a gym, with fatalistic menace and destiny, the series digs into our culture's perpetual anxiety over death, particularly when it's seemingly preventable. 
Thanks for that quote. That's yeah, really, thanks, really Allison. nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll get in. I have thoughts on the mundane that I'll oh, get yes. into, and yeah, totally will want to connect to this. But in thinking, so we recently saw this film together mm-hmm. back when we were carving pumpkins, mm-hmm. and it wasn't illegal to visit each other's <laughs> homes. So yeah. was that. Um, and then in researching for this episode, I found the podcast titled Horror Queers, um, which has an episode on Final Destination to be so helpful. Mm-hmm. The hosts, uh, whose names are Joe Lipset and Trace Thurman, along with their guest for that episode, Terry Mesnard, Maynard, uh, sorry, sir, if I'm mispronouncing that, mm-hmm. uh, but they go into depth about Final Destination writer and creator Jeffrey Reddick, who is a queer person of color, um, and his struggles with advocating for queer representation and the be- like brutal whitewashing that mm-hmm. he has experienced in the field uh, and in the genre of of horror specifically so the horror queers final destination episode also looks to the idea that carter who is like yeah that hot-headed jock who is one of the survivors final people in the first film uh they they perceive him or they look to him uh, as a queer character with really intense internalized homophobia Mm -hmm. so carter is often arguing or even like attempting to physically fight with alex who's demisawa and in the end he's the third wheel to clear river and Alex's relationship. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's maybe implied that there is kind of, like, sexual tension there. Uh, or, or yeah, this, like, internalized homophobia mm-hmm. that this character might be grappling with. Mm-hmm. Voila. Merci. <sighs> wow. It's weird being here, huh? We finally completed a puzzle. Is there something missing? No. To Terry. Yeah. To Todd. To all of our friends that can't be here. Cheers. Cheers. What? If you would have told me six months ago that three of us would be sitting here having a drink. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean. Sometimes it just feels like the two of you are the only ones you can really understand. You were right, Brown. It did skip us. It was a design. But we beat it. You know, we won. You guys think we won. Carter is a chance at a full life. A chance that I won't ever waste. Yeah. There's just something, you know, something I can't figure out. What? what? What's the design? Alex, just let it go, all right? So I just, just hear me out, all right? <clears throat> oh, my God. Just, just listen. Now, the path of the explosion determined the order of our deaths, right? When I intervened and saved Carter, it skipped him and went to the next person, the path that went to Billy, all right? And then it was clear. But I intervened and saved her, so it went to me. But in my case, no one intervened, right? I was thrown from that power line. By the explosion. So, so why did it skip you, right? How do we know that this isn't exactly what was meant to happen? That out of everyone on Flight 180, you, me, and Carter were meant to live. Maybe that was the design all along. Or you could still be next. Shut up, Carter. What? I didn't make up the rules. I mean, somebody's got to intervene before death can skip them. Alex proved that three times. On the plane, with me, with you. For all I know, it could circle back and get us all again. But I and the safest fucker in the world because you're still next. 
a very silly choice clear rivers i mean it's there's a lot there's a lot of silliness silly uh, choices in, yeah in this film like yeah. i find i i totally hear you and understand like the the anxiety or like the the dread that this film like breeds in you because mm-hmm. it is like um yeah and as and thinking of that quote too like turning kind of like mundane experiences or acts into like yes this could be your last time you get your car washed or or whatever um so so yeah there is like a strange silliness in how the act of dying is navigated in this film Mm -hmm. so the initial mass death of the first one which is that plane crash Mm -hmm. sidebar i think it might actually be real footage of a plane crash i think the footage Um, shows up in like the news report later on but yeah they do use like actual footage which is so terrifying like that would not happen now which is and then also to think to be watching this film in like a post um september 11th world to like how the the complications of filming a scene like that and and Mm -hmm. would seem like they would probably be so different now or or Um, another thing cut out like totally, I don't think, totally, I don't or think, not even be allowed to happen. Yeah, like, I, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And then there's another one of those moments at the airport, Allie Larder, her character, Clear, yeah. <laughs> is reading, or she's, like, looking at pictures of car crashes, and one of the images is of Princess Diana's 
the like her, her death, death scene. yeah it, which is like what how are how is this able to be like yeah and it's uh, not like they're so, it's not like they're making a comment on it or anything they're just yeah. like she's looking at like a magazine about or a book about paris and yeah. that's like a page that she turns to but is it it's just to like yeah. set a creepy tone yeah yeah it's just yeah. kind of like as a little pawn in there mm-hmm. it's which is so wild i mean i guess in in if we're talking about mundaneness the like the shock of princess die's death mm-hmm. is like was obviously so massive mm-hmm. I, yeah anyway it's but a strange kind of like thing that is, is flipped across the screen mm-hmm. um yeah that is uncomfortable like that 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 airplane crash, the initial one. And as someone, I get really anxious about flying. Mm. Um, so watching that scene, I do find really hard because it's like mm. that. I, my imagination has been there before um, on airplanes waiting to take off. Um, but apart from that one scene, I found so many of the other death scenes really quite extravagant, uh, like mousetrap style encounters. And the Horror Queers podcast invokes the cartoons of Rube Goldberg where it would like and he's this cartoonist who would make these complicated and intricate machines designed to perform really simple and everyday tasks so it's almost like the the machines in wallace and gromit where like for wallace to put his little pants on and <laughs> serve him breakfast it's this like whistling steaming mm-hmm. contraption that like takes up his whole house it's like so it's comedic it's almost to the point of, of comedic like it's so disjointed from like the reality of death and grief mm-hmm. um so yeah, the character of death in Final Destination not administering like heart attacks or cancer mm-hmm. or like any kind of slow, slow realities of how yeah. how death can, can be experienced is really interesting. And then yeah, like that convoluted situation where the teacher dies mm-hmm. from the chaotic events of like a leaky mug of vodka is proof of this like very puzzle oriented like trickster kind of like death spirit. Yes, yeah, that's really interesting to think of. Yeah, death is this like trickster character that just wants to like make you suffer while at the same time like that scene like especially sort of like fosters audience participation in a way in that you're like looking around the shot trying to figure out like what is going to kill this character and like like when we were watching we were like screaming at the my tv and like I think I yelled like no not the knives like you just get like watch this like sick like choose your own adventure story and it turns out that like everything in the house kills her ultimately um yeah so i i horror queers also brought this up but the idea of like determinism versus free will and how that's sort of played with in the film um so the determinist approach proposes that all behavior has a cause and is thus predictable free will is an illusion and that our behavior is governed by internal or external forces over which we have no control so i feel like alex personifies this approach and that he's trying to figure out death's design and figure out like all the external forces while also trying to, like, avoid them. Um, And then free will is the idea that we are able to have some choice in how we act and assumes that we are free to choose our behavior. In other words, we are self-determined. And this approach is shown in Carter as he repeatedly states that he's in charge of his own destiny and that he will never die. So I think those are just, like, it is interesting to see those two approaches personified in in these characters and how they are dealing with their own mortality and and fate and everything like that. Is that him? 
think. Why did they make him up like Michael Jackson? Yeah, that's him. Whatever it was that made him Todd is definitely gone. Critical lacerations from pulling at the wire. Pulling at the wire? Hmm? If he was pulling at the wire, he wasn't trying to kill himself. It was an accident. In death, there are no accidents, no coincidences, no mishaps, and no escapes. What you have to realize is that we're all just a mouse that a cat has by the tail. Every single move we make, from the mundane to the monumental, the red light that we stop at or run, the people we have sex with or won't with us, the airplanes that we ride or walk out of. It's all part of death's sadistic design leading to the grave. Design? Does that mean if you figure out the design, you can cheat death? Alex, you've already done that by walking off the plane. Your friend's departure shows that death has a new design for all of you. Now you have to figure out how and when it's coming back at you. Play your hunch, Alex, if you think you can get away with it. But remember, the risk of cheating the plan, of disrespecting the design, could incite a fury that could Rise even the Grim Reaper. And you don't even want to fuck with that Mac Daddy. Okay then, well, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry we broke in and, and. No harm, no foul. I'll see you soon. Tony Todd of Candyman fame plays the mysterious mortician William Bloodworth. Um, again, uh, great name. <laughs> the names in this movie. Uh, the Bloodworth <laughs> character uh, can be seen as magical, a trope where a black character has supernatural abilities that are often used in service to warn the white characters. Since we don't know anything about this magical, about this magical and all-knowing character or like what his goals are, uh, there is a fan theory that Bloodworth represents death or the Grim Reaper. And yeah, I just wanted to know like what you thought of this character. Yes, totally. It, Todd's character feeds into like racialized mystical tropes, which are so prevalent throughout not only the horror genre but also like Western, as I make quote marks, Western mainstream media of all sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, okay, so it's interesting also that you bring up like the idea of like Alex personifying determinism mm-hmm. and and Carter being a free will. Like I feel like there's something unique about. William Bloodworth. <laughs> so funny. Um, but there's something unique about his character in in how he plays with with that binary. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is maybe a big reach of a Final Destination reading. 
but but I do find there to be like kind of maybe maybe weak threads of of how it is like a mundane uniformity that erodes the experience mm-hmm. of existence. Like if Bloodworth, who is this lone racialized character in the first film, uh, is perceived as the Grim Reaper or the bringer of death, and then also knowing Jeffrey Raddock's frustrations with racism in the movie industry, there is kind of a strange reckoning occurring in in the extravagant and fantastical killings of characters mm-hmm. who are also constructed according to the formulas of the Hollywood machine and the fact that this could be um, orchestrated by by this by this by the character of, of Bloodworth. Um, so I'm not articulating it like super well. This is a point that is like I'm I think I'm reaching and I don't think that this is the intent of, I love of the film at all. But there <laughs> but there is this spark in me that wonders about if Reddick possibly did desire more from the franchise that I mean we, we know is very much enwrapped in like a cookie cutter movie mm-hmm. industry mm-hmm. and so many creative decisions in this franchise were made through focus group screenings. So to think to, uh, that a character who like actually holds some sort of like gruesomely creative agency or or that Reddick perhaps is perceiving himself in that in that character as mm. someone who is you know writing this story um I don't know it's interesting to me and then yeah yeah he he seems to where he fits within the determinism of free will mm. yes is, is interesting um but I guess also back to the the mundane that you mm. articulated earlier with Alison Lang's quote uh, this like far out kind of stupid theory perhaps also <laughs> comes from like truly terrifyingly shockingly and disgustingly every day death and grieving can be like especially obviously we can't like ignore mm-hmm. the heightened strange times of COVID that we're in mm-hmm. um, and the normalcy that occurs with seeing and reading and, and being bombarded by numbers of deaths per day and like knowing that uh, what should be a trip to the hospital for like routine surgery or, or anything might very well be the end due to hospitals and medical professionals being totally stretched so thin right now. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, this is also, I'm, yeah, COVID right now, it like brings that up. But also, I'm just reading a book where they're talking about the war in Iraq where mm-hmm. civilian death rates were not published at all. Like Canadian mm-hmm. media outlets were permitted to publish deaths of Canadian soldiers, which I think is retained. 100 or 150 or something in there but civilian deaths go unpublished and unseen mm-hmm. and like he right now like speaking of deaths in approximate numbers is like so disconnected from the experience of death and grief mm-hmm. and that of of those numbers the civilian deaths not going published and how violent that erasure is and and then to think of the everyday and the redaction that is flowing through that like this kind of dark shadow um, so anyway, <laughs> final destination. I guess all this is to say, uh, I find the, the extravagance of death in this franchise, in this film, to be so dissonant uh, with the experience of death and grief and actuality, which yeah. which is such a there's a, such a a strangeness to it that that to take it into this like fantastical fiction realm is like yeah, there's a disconnect with how how grief. And the experience of death is, is like, you know, sticks with you. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from that, my the one light moment in this, this well, there's lots of light. It's a 
arguably film in some yeah it's very way. silly and it like i feel like stupid that i find it scary <laughs> no don't you dare feel stupid oh my gosh yeah. you have every right to find it scary no like this. it's dumb <laughs> but i just feel like that like this movie i don't know it like somehow encompasses like what my personal experience with having anxiety is it's just like what if something bad happened? What yeah. if something like yeah. totally accidental and totally gruesome happened and pre- preventable and gruesome? Yeah. That's just like how yeah. I move through the world anyway. Yeah. Oh, this film does a very quite apt job of like, even how, how they kind of like how the camera pans around mm-hmm. a room to like give you the clues, like what could happen? Yeah. It's like, Oh my gosh, me literally like every time I eat alone, I'm like, I'm going to choke to that. Like it's very and in this film it 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 feeds off of that absolutely yes. I think yeah. you're completely valid in being like terrified by this <laughs> I think that's apt <laughs> completely um, absolutely yes okay but I do want to hover on my favorite character okay, yes. of Billy played by John William Scott he is I don't I find him so funny and it might be that John William Scott always like plays like a dumb. Jock, yeah, like a douchebag, like a bully, a douchebag, bully guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this film, he's like a target to Carter's bullying. Yes, and he it seems to be someone that other characters that uh, that Sean William Scott has played would be bullying. Yeah, yeah, so totally. Like, yeah, and I just love him. He's always being ignored by like teachers and classmates, and he also witnesses many of the deaths. He's always around. He's always just riding his bike around. Oh, he's always riding his bike around. Oh, oh he's my gosh. So Speaking cute. of him and his bike. Billy. He's so funny. The, I there was probably yeah, some sleepover where we were watching this film. What we perceived like way too late. We probably just had too much pop and we're so hyper. Yeah. But the scene where he's like riding and Carter almost sits in with his car, he's like, Car, you dick. And it's like, but he's ignored. Like it's not even like a big scene because everyone just ignores him but it's so funny like it's literally one of the scenes that we'd like go and rewind as children and just laugh at something about it it's not laughing at him it's just like and then to be no like i don't know i just it's love very Billy. silly and but he's laughing. he repeats it a lot carter you dick he says it a lot through the movie <laughs> oh he's so sweet yeah carter carter sucks but yeah Billy, i just yeah i and it, it, i guess maybe that scene too it like brings like it's like a child like and because mm-hmm. it's connected to childhood memories that it, there's also like a lightness there yeah oh i was gonna say the horror horror queer podcast they mentioned that billy was a real originally written as like a fat character yeah at all so it is funny that like yeah he's coming off of like stifler playing stifler and now he's playing like this bullied teen which i love mm-hmm. love to see it Oh yeah, seeing exactly like direct response to to look at like his his characters as if they were in some bizarro multiverse or whatever. Yes, like to know that yeah. he bullied by his other character. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much even to to say or that could be said. I don't know where to start with the the weight thing because I don't know the details of it. Mm, yeah, but how that would would change would change that character just in how. And I feel like my lightness with him being ignored or being, you know, in a situation where he's not a loved person Mm -hmm. amongst 
these teenagers because of the history of Sean William Scott and knowing that he's different. Like he's, mm-hmm. he is, you know, we know him beyond this character more. Yeah. Like you don't feel bad that he's being bullied because of his history yeah. of Stifler. <laughs> he's just kind of goofy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it is a strange, uh, yes. But so as you, so I don't have like yet tons of like insightful no, you did, yes. <laughs> but one thing that I did really want to ask you, I wanted to know, like, what would be your your ridiculous Final Destination death of choice? I hate this question <laughs> so much. Because I think about I'm it every sorry. day. I think about it every day. I'm so sorry, Olivia. Uh, oh, my gosh. But, like, yeah, like, probably, like, car crash with logs or, like, death by vodka oh. computer explosion. Like, something stupid <laughs> oh my god the vodka computer explosion is so nuts it's so nuts I love it yeah I know I I, I as someone where it's like I will probably choke to death to eat it alone I wish it was vodka computer explosion yeah. <laughs> yeah uh just another note um I don't really buy Alex as like the final boy main character and like like you said like he's not even hot in this movie (laughs) i know poor guy i know poor guy but like everything else maybe it's just like i don't i don't care about male main characters unless it's like keanu reeves but it is interesting to think of him as like as a cassandra character uh so the story of cassandra comes from greek mythology and is both tragic and ironic, as such myths tend to be. Uh, Cassandra was the daughter of Priam, the king of Troy. She caught the eye of god Apollo and was he was accustomed to getting what he wanted. He was amazed and displeased when she refused his romantic advance, advances, and he became vengeful. He cursed Cassandra with a gift of prophecy with an especially cruel twist. He guaranteed that while she would always be right, no one would ever believe her predictions. Cassandra foretold the fall of Troy and other disastrous happenings, though she was ignored. So the thing with, like, the premonitions, and I've only seen Final Destination 2, so I'm not sure if they're, like, fully explored, but it is, like, in this film, there's no explanation as to why Alex is getting a premonition, and then they kind of, like, go away. It is kind of, like, oh, yeah, I have, like, one other, like, fun fact that this film was originally written as an episode of X-Files. So the first film in... The franchise was conceived as an X-Files episode script by Jeffrey Reddick, um, featuring Dana Scully's brother as the hapless character who has the initial premonitions of a plane crash. And I feel like the way that this... It does feel like this first film is written like a half hour to an hour long television show. Like there isn't really an explanation. It just sort of happens. And then it's all these death sequences right that's yeah that's very interesting Mm -hmm. exactly because as you say and i I like your articulation or your insight into alex being similar to cassandra character Mm -hmm. completely yes i can see that there's also something yeah like the fact that we as viewers the the mystery of it is or at least not in the first film Mm -hmm. is where do these premonitions come from Mm -hmm. or like why is this occurring it's just like this is it, and this is the game we're playing. Yeah, totally. Whatever, short world. Yeah, and I feel yes. like in, in a lot of horror movies, maybe we're more accustomed to like there's some sort of event, and then a teenage girl experiences something, and then no one believes her. 
like we're sort of used to that like girl gets her period something bad happens no one believes her <laughs> like we're sort of used to that structure so maybe that's why i just like don't buy devon sawa as like the final right. yeah yeah which is makes a lot of sense but it's like people would be listening they'd be like why is this boy like he knows something yeah but the fact that it goes completely yeah He's consistently ignored. Mm-hmm. A lot of ignoring that happens in this film. Yeah. Which is also, I don't know, and maybe that's something I don't notice lots in, in <laughs> film, but like to be written, to have written lines where the characters are willfully being ignored. Like it's, it's strange. <laughs> it creates a dissonance as an audience member. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, when you're seeing. Does like, Billy exist if no one is listening to him? Yeah, like, why is he here? Yeah. No, no one listens to him. And then same with Alex's thing, too. Mm. There is this, like, strange strangeness created of, like, this, this ig- ignoring everyone's kind of, like, their pers- like, perspectives or worldviews. Everything is such a... Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It is a weird movie. Um, maybe not... Uh, maybe it's not well-written. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> or there's not enough or they they just don't give enough time for character development. Like rather than like yeah. sort of explore like why Alex is getting these premonitions, they have a, a shot of like Alex and Todd like taking a dump at the airport. <gasps> like why? I why? why why does that scene exist? Yeah.
Um, so I just want to talk a little bit about the score, and I have another quote from Alison Lang from her article from Art of the Title. Um, so she writes, It's impossible to talk about the title sequences for any Final Destination movie without mentioning the influence of legendary composer Shirley Walker, who composed and conducted the score for the film for the first three films prior to her death in 2006. It was James Wong's idea for Walker to score the title sequence for the first film, an opportunity she relished. What a treat for me to get a, get to write a piece that calls you in, that calls you into the movie and lets you know something bad is going to happen from the get-go, she said in an undated fansite web interview. While Walker preferred a low-key approach to the score in contrast, in contrast to the intense violence, her theme casts an indelible shadow over the tone of the film. Subtle yet unsettled, with ominous humming horns and strings rising and building with the faintest dissonance. Walker's theme recalls a creeping feeling that something is amiss. It's the sound of death's icy grip slowly taking its hold. And I do appreciate that, like, juxtaposition between, like, these very violent, very over-the-top death sequences and then the more, like, sort of a low-key, creepy build that the music takes. I think it's really yes. cool. Yes. It is nice, and it is, that quote articulates it really nicely, mm -hmm. too, of that, like, yeah, subtle yet unsettled, because that is something that is, and it's, it's, it's so effective, mm -hmm. and, like, environment feeding. It's mm -hmm. this kind of, like, creepy, but, like, also quite subtle. Mm -hmm. Which that is like a bit of an, a unique thing. I feel like so many horror films, like the the score being what you, it, it pulls you. Like mm -hmm. that's what kind of moves you through the film is, is knowing how you're going to feel according to, to, the, to the score. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this film, because of it always kind of being at this like consistent mm -hmm. level, yeah. it, it doesn't guide you in the same way that other other horror scores do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do you know about the alternative ending, Jill? I've, I would love you to tell us about yeah. it because I have heard about it and I was just like, well, I was, my eyeballs were stuck so far in the back of my head yes. that I couldn't think anymore. So yeah. I would love you to talk about it. Yes. Because okay. I don't know what So <laughs> in the alternate ending, Alex and Clear have sex on the beach, resulting in Clear's pregnancy. Later, when Alex rescues Clear, the wire electrocutes him and he burns to death. Nine months later, Clear gives birth to a baby boy named Alex, named after his deceased, deceased father, saving her and Carter from death. At the end, Clear carries Alex Jr. and reunites Carter, reunites with Carter at the Flight 180 Memorial. Clear states that they only won the chance of a full life. A gust of wind, a gust of wind blows a leaf off a tree, and the leaf covers the camera, and then the credits roll. Um, and apparently test audiences hated that, like, obviously, because that, uh, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, even the fact that Alex and Clear got together in the movie is, doesn't make sense to me. Again, like, I don't care about, like, romance in movies <laughs> or, like, a shoehorned thing. Even, that, like, at the end, like, near the end of the movie, she starts calling him baby a lot. It was just seems, like, very strange for her character because she's just, like this teen living alone, making her sculpture. Like, why are yeah, you calling him Yeah, she's baby? supposed to be cool and independent. Yeah, and then, like, to have this, like, oh, they're safe from death because of this innocent life, that just seems like, I don't know, that, that seems like pro-life propaganda to me. <laughs> totally, exactly, and it brings, like, a, a morality yes. into, yeah. into, into this whole story that it's like, no. No, especially, this like, considering, <laughs> considering, like, this isn't a morality tale 
anyway. Like, why would they, yeah, why would they try to make it, like, sentimental in this innocent life saves them? Yeah. Yeah, weird. I know, I'm very glad that they... <laughs> I mean, but even, like, even the end is... The ending that they kept is weird. And they had to reshoot it, which is why everyone's hair is different and, like, Alex and Claire right. are dressed the same. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, she'd had, like, blonde hair because, like, she'd already started working on this really blonde hair. Yes. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a weird movie oh yeah I okay well now honestly Olivia talking to you I'm like heck I might have to watch the rest of the franchise we gotta watch the rest of the franchise I wonder like yeah I hope that I don't know the lore or like the premonition stuff gets sort of yes, worked right. out but I think even the second yes. one they have like they they have a lot of stock in, in pregnancy and like the idea of like innocent life and Oh, dear. All that shit. Here we go. It's yeah. your agenda. Yeah, so that's our discussion on Final Destination. Uh, thank you, Jill, for being on the show again and for watching this dumb movie with me. <laughs> thank you so much. Olivia, I will watch any dumb movie. Yeah, please. Thank you for going on this Truly journey. Truly my pleasure. The scariest yes. movie I've ever seen, Final Destination. <laughs> oh, my God. Thanks for having this discussion with me. It's always <laughs> delightful talking about this stuff with you. I yeah. love it. <laughs> um, if any listeners have any thoughts on Final Destination, you can um, email us at bikinidrivein at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page. You can follow me on Instagram. It's all Bikini Drive-In. Um, yeah, Jill, do you have any, any events you want to plug or, or anything events. you want to talk about? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> or things. Uh, literally nothing. Perfect. No, I'm not. I I just spend my time reading these days. So smart. Yeah, reading the other Boleyn girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> reading beach read. Psych beach book. Yes, psych reading in the bath. Third bath of the day. Oh my reading god. <laughs> Kidding. I um, I'm actually my my I only had there was only one day this week with two baths. Oh my gosh. So I'm like doing really well. So cozy. Yes. We're all, we're all thriving. <laughs> we're thriving over here. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So you can listen to Bikini Drive-In every Sunday on CKUW. Oh, I have a new time slot now at 4 p.m., 4 to 5, an hour long, hour long slot. Uh, yeah. So every week on Sunday at 4. Um, you could also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever, wherever you listen to podcasts. Great. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.
In the heart of downtown Winnipeg, you're listening to CKUW 95.9 FM, Campus Based Community Radio.